Pray with me. Father in heaven, now we come to your word and I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Father, that you would cause our not only minds to comprehend, but Father, that this word would be apprehended and would apprehend our very hearts, turn them towards you, towards Christ, so that we would have every intention of hearing and following after you. So Father, please work that in us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn to Ezekiel in chapter 33. I want to read verses 30 through 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning at verse 30. Hear the word of God. As for you, son of man, your people who talk together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses, say to one another, each to his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For they, uh, for with lustful talk in their mouths they act. Their heart is set on their gain, and behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice. And plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, they will know that a prophet has been among them. Let me give you my conclusion. It doesn't mean I'm finished. But I want you to see this, so you can see how it pulls through, and how we end there. So let me give it to you. Really, there's simply three points, all in one sense, coming together, and that is, that... God is not simply one voice among many, but he is the voice. That God is not simply one way among many, but his is the only way, and that is through Christ. And God is not simply one master among many, but he is the Lord. One voice, one way, one master. It's God's voice, God's way. He is the Lord. That's where we're going to end. Now, to get there, I want to work through Ezekiel. Now, in this particular passage from which I read, Ezekiel has, for the last seven years, been prophesying the destruction of Jerusalem. He's been saying it's going to be destroyed. And finally, a messenger has come. You can go back to verse 21 of this passage and see. A messenger has come and has said that Jerusalem is destroyed. The enemy has come. It's gone. It's been destroyed. That isn't a prophetic word. It's an actual word. An eyewitness comes and says. Now, when the people hear that, when the people in exile, remember they're in exile in Babylon, when the exiles hear that, they begin to talk differently about Ezekiel. It appears as if Ezekiel was the talk of the town and, and, and people were talking about them. I, I, I don't know quite what they were saying, although I know a little bit of what they were saying from the previous chapters. And it could be summarized to the effect of saying, he's nuts. But now that the word has come that what he has been prophesying for the last seven years, that he's acted out, that he's built models of, that he's explained, that he's spoken of, that he's given them reasons for, that since Jerusalem has fallen, now the talk is, let's go to Ezekiel and hear what the word of the Lord is. Because if he got this right, 
as opposed to the other false prophets now we see. If he got this right, then he must be speaking on behalf of God. So let's go up to Ezekiel and let's hear what the word of the Lord is. And, and on its face, that sounds incredibly encouraging. You know, if I were Ezekiel, you might be thinking, he might be thinking, wow, they're finally getting it. They're finally realizing that God is speaking to me and I'm speaking to them. And perhaps now's the time that God will draw them. Now's the time that they'll repent and listen and turn and all of that. And I see, I think we see similar kinds of things even in our day. Times when people are, seem more interested in turning to God and seeking Him and praying and all of that. Uh, probably in our recent memory is is the whole September 11th situation, where where people it seemed nationally were crying out, "Let's pray together," and into some sense that seemed encouraging to us. And and and, and there's sometimes in our own personal private lives uh, when difficulties come and we seek the Lord, and perhaps when difficulties come in other people's lives. They seek the Lord as well, and sometimes they come to us knowing that we're Christians or perhaps in their minds religious people, whatever that means. And they come to us and they say, will you pray with me? Will you pray for me? Or, or what's God's view of this kind of thing? And that can be encouraging to us because we begin to think about these folks. Perhaps now's the time that God is drawing them to himself. We would hope that times of blessing would draw us to God. And sometimes times of blessings uh, do call, draw people to God, but only for a short period of time. They just simply say thanks and then find some way that they were really responsible for bringing the blessing themselves. But difficulties often draw people to their weakness. And in the midst of that weakness and the exhaustedness and the, and the lack of strength and all of that to see, oh, I need the help of God, so let's go to Him. And that can be encouraging. But the encouragement to Ezekiel must have been very short-lived because... When they came to him, they really weren't seeking the Lord. Notice verse 31. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, their heart is set on their gain. And that little expression, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, this new one that I've been doing with, but um, this phrase, lustful talk, uh, some of you may have with love songs or something like that, this sense of great passion. You see, they're coming with what appears to be great passion, great centeredness on this great desire. But really it isn't for God. It's that their own desires would be met. They seek God to hear from Him, to get His help and all of that, but only so they can spend it, if you will, on themselves. And they have no desire to hear and to follow after Him. Thus God will not speak to them. Verse 32, And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument, for they hear what you say, but they will not do it. In other words, they listen to Ezekiel and they think he's singing beautiful songs. Now, I've read the first 33 and a half chapters of Ezekiel. And it doesn't sound pretty. But yet that's what they're hearing. Because see, all they want is the land. And Ezekiel's going to tell them, yes, the restoration is going to come. Yes, the exiles are the ones who are going to receive the land. Not the people that, are, that have been there, but the exiles, they're going to move back to the land. And that's all they're hearing. And so they're seeing, all they're hearing is Ezekiel playing this beautiful music to them, but they're missing the very point of repent. Yes, you'll be restored to the land, but to be restored to the land means that you need to turn from your sins and follow God. They're not hearing that. They're simply coming saying, oh yes, we want the land and we're going to get it. That's good. And that's all they're hearing from the Lord. They have no intention of really following 
and following after him. Now, what do we make of all this? Well, quite frankly, firstly, to me, it's frightening. Because I look at my own life and I say, when I go to the Lord, why? Am I going simply for my own personal gain to get? Or am I going because I really want to follow him? Why am I really, why am I really going? And that's frightening to me. Secondly, I see that there is not only a cognitive component to our hearing, but there is a moral component to our being able to hear as well. You see, the point isn't that they didn't hear the words Ezekiel said. It isn't before, the reason they missed it wasn't because they, they didn't, they, they were a little bit deaf, you see. They could hear everything he had to say with their ears, but they didn't really understand it. They really didn't hear it. And the reason they didn't really hear it, they really didn't understand it, was because of the moral condition of their hearts. They came for their own gain. They didn't come to follow after God. It's not as if they said, God, we're weak spiritually and physically and materially and we need you. We're coming to you so that you can help us so that we can follow after you. That wasn't it. They were simply coming to Ezekiel saying, tell us what's going to happen so that we can enjoy the benefits of that. They have no real intention of following after God because, you see, they came to hear from God only to the degree that it would help them pursue their own goals and desires Satisfy their own passions, not God's. Now when the scripture says here, at least in my version, that their heart is set on their gain, or they will not do it because their heart is set on their own gain, we need to understand, and I hope this doesn't confuse you, but we need to understand that every time we go to God, there's gain for us. And we always go to God realizing it will be to our benefit to go to Him. In fact, if we go to him without seeking help, without looking for gain, it's an insult to him. We don't go to God saying, God, I have it all together. Really, I don't need a thing. Just saying hi. Because our whole being depends upon him. We're not autonomous. We're not independent. We're not self-determining. We exist only by his word. And so it's always gain. When we go to God for forgiveness, that's great gain. That's eternal gain for us. When we go to him to seek his wisdom and help and his strength, that's gain to us. We go because we're weak to receive strength. And it pleases God to give that gain to us. That's good. But that's not Ezekiel's point here. Ezekiel's point isn't that they're going to God for that kind of gain. He means that they have in their mind what's beneficial for them, what's good for them, and they're going to pursue that with whatever they get from God. That's the gain he's talking about. It's selfish. It's personal. It's theirs, not God's, not his. They heard they would get the land. They were excited about that. And not only that, we see that in this particular context, this moral component to really hearing God means we come to God to listen, but listen implies obey. That listen implies good. Now, every mom here knows that. Because every mom here has said, why don't you listen to me? By that, moms don't mean, why don't you take your ears and hear this so if I give you a multiple choice test, you can pass it. Why don't you listen to this so you, if I ask you what I said, you can tell me. No, 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 no. 
Mom means, why didn't you do it? I said this, and it's not done. So listen implies doing. Listen implies obey. Hearing implies obey. And that's the point. In fact, in Hebrew, the word for hear is the same for obey. Listen. Follow. Why did you come to hear if you had no intention of doing? God says. Now, when I think of that... And I think of it in the context of our own lives and how it is that we come to God. And why it is that we come to God. I I think of why do we really seek God. If we go back to the situation of September 11th and we looked into our our own country and the uh, the situation here and it seemed as if people were crying out to God and there seemed to be a call for the whole country to pray. And not even considering how it is that people thought they were going to pray on what basis they thought they were going to pray, how it is that they thought God would receive them. Because you see, there's great debate about that. Christians sort of stand over here, apart from everybody else. Because we say, in order to really pray, one must go to God, believing in Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And thus, if one doesn't believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then one isn't praying to God. And we believe that the only way to be received into the presence of God, to be heard by him and have assurance that he hears us, is to go in the name of Jesus. Meaning, we don't stand in our own righteousness before God, expecting him to sort of receive us and listen and do. But we expect him only to receive us as we come to him in Christ. Trusting in the righteousness and the work of Christ. Depending on Christ to have gone before us and we go in him. So one wonders about all those prayer meetings, especially those that were moderated by Oprah, as people came together and what really it meant. But but the point here isn't just that. The point is, why are people seeking God? For what purpose? Is it simply the purpose to say, God, protect us from terrorism so we can go on continuing to live in peace the life that we've always lived? That was exactly what the people in Ezekiel's day were doing. God, give us the land so we can have the land to now live as your enemies, to live in rebellion against you. Are we praying, God, give us peace, protect us from our enemies so that we can go on and we can continue to live the way that we've always wanted to live? We pray, God, prosper us. Why do we pray that? So we can now have more money to continue to live the way that we've always lived. More wealth to continue to live the way that we've always lived. Or we pray God prosper us so that then we can follow you with our prosperity. So that others would be blessed. God protect us so that then we can follow you in this protectedness. We pray as well we should. God give us a cure for AIDS. It's a horrible illness. Horrible disease. We should be praying that a cure be found. But why? Are people praying that AIDS would find its cure so that we could continue to live with the same sexual promiscuity that we have, but yet now without the threat of getting this disease? Or are we saying, God, forgive us. Give us a cure so that now we can live in purity, but live. People pray for their marriages, and and we should pray for our marriages. Things aren't going bad now, pray preventatively, because... I shouldn't say that, that's not true. (laughs) 
pray for marriages. But, but why? People say, God, heal my marriage. It's difficult, it's costly, it's painful. My needs aren't being met. But God, I'm praying this, but I have no intentions of living a life of sacrificial love for my spouse. No, you won't hear God. But if you come, God, heal my marriage because my desire is to follow you in my marriage. God, heal my body. Why? So I can go on and live in the same sinfulness that I've always lived? No. God, heal my body. I desire to follow after you. I desire to be yours and to give myself to you. So would you heal me to enable me to go and to live in such a way that pleases you? God, would you fix this mess that's in the context of my life? Why? So then I could live without this mess the way I've always lived? No. God, I come to, to, to seek you and to ask you to, to help me because my heart's desire really is to follow you. That was the missing piece. That was the moral problem. That was the reason why they couldn't really hear from God, because they were after their own gain. They weren't seeking God to follow after him. There's countless examples uh, in the scripture concerning this kind of thing. For instance, in Matthew in chapter 15, Jesus speaks um, to our poster children for hypocrisy, the Pharisees. Matthew 15 and verse 1, Scripture reads, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandments of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you, would have, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, the people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they do not worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments. Of men, You see, what was happening here is the Pharisees went to the Scripture and they taught two things. One, they saw honor your father and mother, but they also saw in the Scripture that everything that we have belongs to God. And so then they reasoned because they went to God for their own gain and they thought, aha, if everything belongs to God, then I better not give it to my parents, though they be in need. And Jesus said, how can you think like that? Only when you go to the scripture and you have no heart to follow God. People do that. People say, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to have joy. I have no joy from my marriage. Therefore, God must want me to get a divorce. Makes perfect sense. If you're not thinking about following God and walking with and walking with him. Sermon on the Mount in Matthew in chapter 7. At the end of all of this teaching from Jesus, he concludes with this in verse 24. He says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. He said, listen, there's no help in the only hearing unless there's doing. Because you see, if you're one who only hears 
and you don't do it, what I say, then when the storms come, you'll be like the one who built his house on the sand, and it will go splat. But if you hear my words and you put them into practice, which is what they're for, then deep roots will go. You'll be like the one who builds his house on a rock, so when the storms come, the house will stand firm. You'll persevere. You'll endure. You'll make it. I mean, every doctor will tell you there's no good in telling a patient what to do if that patient won't follow your instructions. Hearing only doesn't help. But doing only doesn't help either. Because if you do without having heard, you may do the wrong thing. So it's not just in the doing, and it's not just in the hearing. It's in the right hearing and the right doing that follows that. There's a logical connection in Jesus' minds for why he said what he did and what they were to do. He says, here's what I'm telling you. Now do it, and you'll be blessed. James and... Chapter 1, and verse 22, continues the same theme. James writes this, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers, only deceiving yourselves. Saying, listen, there are times, and this is especially true for theologically minded people, we think once we've fought it, we've got it. That's not always true. Any more than if you're in a, on a football team and your coach diagrams a play on the blackboard, the next thing you do isn't go home. You go out on the field to see if you know what those words mean. You understand what that play really is about. You put it into practice. That's, that's what they call it, don't they? Practice. You put it into practice. That's what you do. You try out all this stuff you've heard. Because if you don't, you can just simply be deceiving yourself. You can just think, I've really got it. I must confess, when I was in graduate school, I... I was this little studious one, and I would get the syllabus of the course every semester before classes would begin, and I'd go out and I would see all the journal articles that I was to read, and I would find them in the library, and I would Xerox them all so that I would have them for me for the semester. But I lived under the, this deception that since I had copied them, I had read them. <laughs> it's a common flaw among students, I, I think. But I have it. Oh, I have to read them. And he said, just because you've heard it doesn't mean you know it. You need to put these things into practice. Don't deceive yourself. Coming up in the 1st of February, some of you will take this with us. Karen and I will start it before you say I do class again. We'll teach that, which usually wreaks havoc on our marriage for the next three months. Uh, but as we, as we work through the very things we're trying to teach them. And the reason that it's much more difficult for us than it is for the students in the class is because we know what the words mean. It never fails that about three years after classes, we get letters from folks who've been through it saying, we now know what you mean. It's usually followed by something like, please pray for us. <laughs> because the hearing is necessary. It's really important. You have to be told. You need to talk through it. You need to think through it. That's all quite important. That's very crucial. But it takes the living it out. And then those words really begin to take on life. And you go, oh, yes, 
Now I know it. And the roots then begin to dig deeper. And we begin to become stronger in the midst of that. You see, it takes the hearing and the doing of it. And when they came to Ezekiel, they had no intention of doing. You see, they didn't intend to follow after God. They weren't coming to him so that they could follow him. They weren't saying, we're wrong. God is right. The way we've done it isn't the way it should be done. We are, uh, shouldn't be after what we're after. But rather, we're going to come to God to follow after him. In that case, you see, they're not going to hear. In fact, the sadness of it is that they would just leave saying, doesn't Ezekiel sing well? Didn't you like the way he played that? And they miss it. And they miss it to their eternal devastation. That's the important thing. James goes on. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, who forgets, but a doer who acts, he'll be blessed in his, in his doing. He says, listen, the illustration's so clear it hardly needs explanation or even comment. So if you go and you look in the mirror and your face is dirty, it only helps you to have looked in the mirror if you wash. If you leave without washing, you might as well have not have looked in the mirror in the first place. Why did you go to the mirror if you weren't going to do anything about what you saw? So he says, why do you come to God unless you're going to follow after him? Of course, the proof of the pudding is in the doing as well in the context of our faith. James chapter 2, verse 17. So faith by itself, if it does not have works, uh, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You see the difference between the demons and these who really believe is that when the demons learned about God, they heard the right stuff about God. But nothing ever changed in them. They continued to hate God and be against him. One who has faith has heard, but we see something there. And what we see is a person who no longer hates God, but loves God. A person who no longer uh, desires to, to walk apart from God, but really desires to walk with him. That's the difference. We see that taking place. That Jesus speaks of the importance of real hearing. Often, for instance, in Luke in chapter 8, a very familiar parable, but one of great importance. It's the parable of the sower. And he ends this whole section in verse 18 of Luke chapter 8 with this sentence. He says, Take care then how you hear. Be very careful how you hear. Because there's a way of hearing that's not careful. And the way that's hearing that's not careful is just sort of the way that hears, lets it go in one ear. It may or may not go out the other, but it doesn't do anything in you. There's no gripping it. There's no applying it. There's no practicing it. It doesn't do you any good to simply get it in your ear if it's not going to go anywhere in the context of your life. Take care then how you hear. And listen to what the promise is. It says, for to the one who has, more will be given. That is, the more you've got, the more you hear, the more you understand. If you really, really hear it, then you'll receive more from God. You'll be able to listen to him even more. You'll understand him even more deeply. 
and from the one who has not, that is, who's not really heard, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. And the parable of the sower illustrates that. You remember Jesus said there was some seed that fell on this rocky soil. And notice what he says in verse 12. The ones along the path, that is where the seed fell on the rocky soil, the ones along the path are those who have heard. But you're thinking, Jesus, you're playing funny things with this word heard and hear and all that. So what do you really mean by this? The seed... He said, the ones along the path are the ones who have heard. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see, they heard it, but they lost it. They heard it, but it was taken away. Why? Because they didn't really hear it. They really didn't believe. Then, verse 13. And the ones on the rock, some of the seed were on rocky soil, are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while in the time, and in the time of testing, fall away. In the words of Jesus, when the difficulties of life came, their house was built, we could change the metaphor, on the sand, not the rock, so they went splat. And the ones for whom that is true are the ones who hear but don't do. And again, it's for those who fell among the thorns. Some seeds fell among the thorns. There are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and the riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit doesn't mature. As for that, in the good soil, there are those, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. He says, listen, real hearing is evidenced by fruit. And then kindly, he says, with patience. <laughs> it means it, it's coming. Just be patient. You won't see it in a day. You won't see it in an hour. But you'll see it. Because those are those who take it and do. Take it and practice. Take it and apply. Again, this isn't fancy. This is just logic. This is just the way the words go together. How foolish it would be for us to think that you could be taught with no expectation of application. How foolish it would be for us to think that you would go to the Lord without any desire to follow Him once you've gone to Him because He's the Lord. One voice, one way, one Master. So you say, you know, then how do I listen with care? What are some just reasonable things to do? Number one is to pray. I was preaching an ordination service some time ago. This, I don't know, I guess it was last year now. And uh, the person for whom I was preaching the ordination service is becoming a pastor. And uh, he said, he said, please be personal. You know, speak to me directly. And that was, that was pretty dangerous to say because I know this guy pretty well. But what I said to him, at least in one point, was for him, and this goes for all of us, that we need to pray for our own hearts, pray for our own souls. We're saved believers in Christ. But to continue to pray that our hearts would be set, and set right for Christ, set right for God, that we really would desire not only to hear with our ears, not only to be entertained, or not, not to be entertained, but rather to hear so that we could follow after him. Isaiah has this 
word from God in, in, I'm sorry, Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 24, verse 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And I've been praying, as I mentioned to many of you, or to, I guess to all of you during the sermons during our Advent time, praying this prayer out of Psalm 86 for myself and for all of us. For Psalm 86 Verse 11 reads, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That is, God, I desire not to be half-hearted, not to have my heart pulled in different directions. But God, unite my heart so that when I go to you, my only desire is to follow you. Period. That's why I'm going. That whatever I receive, whatever gain there is in me going to you, it's you so that I will follow you. We need to pray for ourselves that we're able to listen, as Jesus said, with great care that our hearts would be set and would be set before God. We need to meditate, spend time, I don't know if you do this, to spend time meditating on the great value of knowing the Word of God and by really hearing it and doing it. Uh, Moses, you might remember, at the end of his life, looked at the people and said, these words are not idle words to you, they're your life. It's your life. To think about that. If only I could hear and listen and really have the word of God. It's life to me. Jesus quoted his father from Deuteronomy. And God had said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is more important to us, more life-sustaining to us than bread and anything we can eat physically. So that's how important it is to you. Do we realize that? I remember one time, probably a zillion years ago, Karen and I went to a, a conference. And it was at like one of these week-long conferences, and it was about 35 hours worth of teaching in six days. And we were exhausted. And it was so good, because I'd never go back to that conference today, because I probably wouldn't agree with the person, all of his stuff. But we left exhausted with one thing ringing through our minds. We need to know the Bible. We really need to know God's word because that's life to us. Psalm 19 says it revives the soul. When you're down, the only thing that can really revive us is to hear really from God. The only way to hear from God is to go to him saying, I want to follow you. Teach me, tell me. Scripture tells us that the Word of God, the scripture is profitable, equipping us for every good work. Meditate upon that. Begin to desire to really know the word of God, to pray that your heart would be right and to seek him. And then we need to learn to read the Bible. And I, you know, I know I'm preaching to the choir, but we need to, to learn to read the Bible. And I say that because God has chosen to reveal himself to us through a book. And I am not, contrary to popular opinion, I don't like to read I read because I must. I don't think I read a book before I was 20 years old. Sorry, moms and dads. <laughs> Every kid's going, well, if he didn't have to. No, no. <laughs> Trust me, I had to, and I paid dearly for not having read. I read Sport Magazine, and I read the sports page of every paper I could get. That's all I read. But, and the Bible. I did read the Bible over and over. That was good. But other than that, I didn't read books. And then it dawned on me, finally that I really do need to learn from reading because that's the way God has chosen to communicate to us and to reveal himself to us. And whether I liked it or not, it isn't God's job to align himself with the way that I like to learn. 
It's my job to align myself with the way God teaches. So we need to learn the Bible, and we need to learn how to read it and enjoy it and and live from it. We need to learn how to listen to preachers and teachers. This is a little self-serving for me, but what the heck? We really do. This is the way God does. Sundays are so crucial to us. Not just because you listen to me, but because God is speaking, whoever is preaching, whoever is teaching the Sunday school class. This is God's day to do this kind of thing. And you say, well, I have a long attention span. And God would say, well, get one. Because this, and, and, it, and you will. You really will. I did. I'll never forget meeting my old fourth grade teacher in elementary school about... 15 or so years ago, and she said, you're a pastor. (laughs) She knew me and my lack of attention, but yet, God says, this is what I do, this is how I do it. Listen, one of the things you can do for yourselves to help you, interestingly enough, is to go to bed early on Saturday nights and get rest. If you learn best early in the morning, come to the 8.15 service. If you don't, come to the 10.45 service. Arrange your life around your best time of the day to be in church. Because if you don't, you're just simply saying to God, you know, really, this isn't that important. What's really important is, that's why I'm keeping you a little after 12, just so the kickoff will happen, and you'll be able to get home with a clear conscience and say, well, I wasn't worried about getting out of church in time to see the kickoff of the Chiefs. And if you weren't, you're absolved. Now, <laughs> but those kinds of things you see, are important to us to pray, to learn the way God has for us to learn, you see, and to enjoy Him. But with the heart that says, I seek to follow you. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm praying. That's why I'm reading. That's why I'm listening. I seek to follow you. And that means that, God, I seek that when you teach me, when you tell me, that by your grace and in your strength, you will help me to do. Because there's only one voice. God doesn't compete. He is one voice, his own voice. And he speaks to us through Christ. And his is the only way through Christ. It isn't one way amongst all kinds of ways. It's just his. And it's for all who will believe. And not only is it one voice, one way, he really is the only master. He's the only Lord. So when we go to him, it must be with a heart to follow him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray for me, for all of us. And Father, that we would submit, you would grant us the grace to submit to you in everything. So as we come to you, it is with the heart to hear, to really listen, meaning to hear from you and to go and do, to follow all that you say. Father, we know that we sin. You know that we sin. And we're grateful for Christ, that his blood covers each and every sin. And yet we know, too, that you've given to us the Spirit and your word to lead and to guide 
and with Jesus interceding for us. And so we pray that you will enable us to hear and to do, that you might be glorified and we might be blessed. And this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction as you do. I remind you that the response to the benediction is Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Now, when I say Jesus is Lord, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're stating a fact. Simply a fact. He is the Lord. Regardless of whether anybody believes that or not, He is the Lord. One voice, one way, one master. He's the Lord. And when you say hallelujah, however, you're saying, yes, I desire to follow Him. Please receive this as God's benediction. Now to Him, who was able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.